All right, we're live. Um, so everybody, welcome to our uh, second live reading of the day. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of his time, and you guys are going to probably be ready to see a different face anyway. So uh, I'm going to step away for a bit and let Christopher introduce himself, tell you a little bit about his upcoming novel, Demon in White, which is Sun Eater Book 3 from Doll Books, and have him read an excerpt from the novel. So Christopher, take it away. All right. Well, hey, everyone. I'm Christopher Rocky, the author of the Sun Eater Science Fantasy Series from Doll Books and uh, Golands over in the UK. And I'm a junior editor at Bain Books. Uh, I've been doing that about five years now, I think. Um, so David asked me to do a reading from uh, Demon in White, which is the third book in my series coming out uh, into July. Uh, it's uh, For those of you who don't know the series, it's a space opera set about 20,000 years in our future. Uh, purportedly, the first-hand account of a man called Hadrian Marlowe, who I like to describe <laughs> as... Uh, Anakin Skywalker, if his becoming Darth Vader was the right thing to do. Uh, Hadrian was a nobleman who ran away from home in this big empire he lives in and uh, found himself embroiled in the middle of a war between said empire and the Sielsen, who are the first alien species in all those years to pose a threat to us. Uh, it's written like a memoir, and on book one, page one, he tells us he's the guy who ended that war and wiped out all the aliens. So this is why and how and about all the things no one knows. So uh, to set the scene real quick, since we're three books in now, um, Hadrian and his legionaries uh, have been sent to figure out what happened to a lost interstellar uh, convoy. Um, and it's a journey that's going to take years because interstellar travel is still not fast enough. Uh, so he's shipping out with some new uh, new men, some new officers. And one of them, uh, a guy called Lorian, uh, has heard some strange stories about Hadrian. And with the rest of the ship going into cryo sleep, uh, they finally get a chance to talk about these things one to one. Uh, if any of you are allergic to spoilers, there are going to be some in here. It's book three, uh, so there's, it's hard to avoid that. But um, on the other hand, Hadrian's not big on spoilers anyway. Like I said, he gives away a piece of the ending on uh, page one of the first book. Um, but if you'd rather come to this scene the long way around, the first two books in the series, Empire of Silence and Howling Dark, are on shelves right now, and I hope you'll take a look. Uh, so now to the reading. After another five rounds in the ring with Siron and a run through the showers, I was making my way back to my apartments in the rear of the ship by way of the equator, following the line of the outer hull above the lighter craft launch tubes toward the tram platform that would carry me back to the officers' dormitories. Arched supports stretched above my head, great buttresses flowing down to the fighter bays below. Snatches of the violent, violet glow of space shone through narrow slices of true window, Great rippling currents where the warp effect turned the stars to curling ribbons as we streaked by. Not eager to be back and to report the afternoon's happenings to Valka, I lingered on the rail, watching the solitary service technician in black coveralls at her work, maintaining one of the sparrowhawks in birth. All was quiet, even the distant humming of the warp nacelles, omnipresent, even on a ship so vast as the Tamerlane. I, fa I fancied almost that I could hear the blood flowing through my veins. Then the ship worker began to sing high, clear voice, almost lost in the echoing distance between us, faint and remote as stars beyond the tall, narrow windows. Hey, carry home my broken bones and lay me down to rest. A thousand years of time I've known since I left my home and nest. A thousand years I've sailed and seen, seeking fortune and my fame but I've lost it all and gone and died where no one knows my name. Lord Marlow, such a sad song I mused aloud, only belatedly realizing that Lord Aristides had followed me from the gymnasium. Hello, Lorian. The Intus peered over the rail. Sailors are always singing sad songs and who can blame them? Almost none of them go home again and if they do, everyone they know is dead. 
Some people believe the flow of time is different aboard ship than it is on worlds, that time slows as vessels ply the dark between the stars, but it is not so. Once, perhaps, it was. The late golden age had been dominated by slower-than-light sea ships carrying men and machines and embryos to colonies surrounding old Earth's system. Watching light speed, those ships had traveled into the future so that decades and centuries had passed on Earth while mere months passed for the sailors aboard. Not so anymore. Time passed aboard the ship, a ship at warp no differently than it did for those worlds we sailed between. It was only that space was vast and empty, and we might be decades at our travels. Decades were all some people had. How's your arm? I asked. Bruised, but I've had worse. Lorian pushed back his sleeve to reveal an ugly brown-yellow wheel blossoming there. He offered a papery smile. May I walk with you? I gestured for him to proceed and resume my course along the equator beltway, careful to move slowly to better allow the Intus to keep pace. His cane and our boots tapped their quiet rhythm against the neck plates. We proceeded thus in silence for a minute or so, the mechanics singing growing ever fainter behind. I am sorry about the prince, I said at last. Whereas I feel sorry for him, Lorian answered. The boy is another contender struggling to get his head up above his siblings so he doesn't end up an old man dying alone in some gilded cage on the forum. I'd be angry too. His cane counted the next dozen seconds, striking against the floor before he added, Not that I am ungrateful for your defense, my lord. Lorian, I said, I think it's well past time we dispensed with the formalities, eh? The smaller man grunted, As you wish, Adrian. We passed by one of the lift tubes that ascended at an inward angle toward the empty barracks where the pilots would live once they were decanted from their fugue crushes. I can understand his anger, but I've always felt it best to pity such people. You should almost keep him awake for the whole journey, give him time to grow up. But you're for the ice soon, aren't you? My six-month self-imposed limit was nearly up, and it would be years before we reached the data net relay. We planned to pause just outside the 18-light-year radius Varro had described around the relay long enough to get our bearings and to communicate with Gadotten and the scout ship that had spent the last several years probing the void. Thence we would resume our approach and begin awakening everyone aboard the fleet, a process taking weeks. But that wouldn't be for nine years, during which period fewer than a hundred of the Tamerlanes, more than 10,000 souls would be awake and active. We were well under a thousand even then. I won't be long now, I said. Valka's been talking like it won't be long before she goes under either, and after that, I trailed off, not quite knowing what to say. Lorian chuckled. Nothing to live for, eh? I snorted something like that. And you? I mean to stay awake a little while longer, he said. I'm not eager to put myself back in the coffin, you know. I glanced down at the small man with his papery skin and spider-thin arms and hands. Is the freeze hard on you, I asked, realizing how little I knew about the commander's condition. It had always felt rude to ask. It still did. It's the waking I can't manage, Lorian answered. Nerves don't work right. I'm numb for weeks. It's not dangerous. It's not getting wor any worse, but it's not pleasant. He walked on in silence a moment before... We walked on in silence a moment before Lorian asked, What have you, Lord uh, Hadrian? I dream, I said. I know that's impossible. I know they say you don't dream in fugue, but I do. 
I had to stop and turn back, for Lorian had stopped suddenly. He was looking up at me with a strange light in his eyes, head cocked, mouth slightly open. What? Only belatedly did I realize what must be happening. I had been seeing that expression on the faces of men and women around me for decades. I had not expected to see it from Lorian Aristides. Is it true? He asked, and I no longer felt embarrassed about my question. Do you dream the future? Aristides, I began, using his right name to generate a bit of formal distance between us again and forestall this line of questioning. He didn't notice. He'd worked up enough momentum not to notice, as if a dam had broken. I wasn't here when you killed Aranata, so I don't know what happened. But a lot of very smart people on this ship, people I respect, even the Scalias, seem to think you're some kind of god. Can you dream the future? Did you really die? How long had he been waiting to ask those questions? Aristides had certainly never been shy with questions. Less shy with his opinions or advice, that was certain. But not shy with questions either. Not shy in general. And yet there was something in his tone that told me he knew. Was he challenging me to lie? I caught myself wishing I had my cape. Such emblems and amulets grant us power by our attitude toward them. Thinking of amulets, I touched my pendant through my shirt front. A bit of shell I'd received from the quiet in the vision the demon brethren had forced upon me. I assume Polino showed you his suit footage. Of all the people who had been with me by that lakeside on the Demiurge, Polino alone had captured a clear recording of what had happened to me. Ilex had discovered it after the battle, while I still slept in Karn Sagara's custody, regrowing the flesh of my arm. She'd had the presence of mind to go through every suit recording from the battle aboard the Demiurge that she could access before the Empire could, and... She had found nothing except on Polino's camera. The man had been facing the right way at the right time and caught it all. Aranata striking off my sword arm and my head after it. I had watched it only once and ordered the recording scrubbed from any networked device and placed in a storage crystal kept near in the Tamerlane's vault. No one was supposed to know about it. No one from the Imperial office had come to me about it either, and so I was certain Ilex had done her job well. I was not surprised that Lorian had discovered it. He did, Aristides said, but if he hadn't, you'd have just given up the ghost. I did not laugh. Are you considered that you're not you, that you're a replica Karn Sagra put together and sent among us? He surveyed me coldly, both hands folded on the head of his cane. I realized I'd misjudged Lorian Aristides a moment earlier. He was not another of my cultists, no true believer at all. He was the most ardent sort of skeptic, the sort of who, the sort who disbelieves even despite the evidence of his eyes. I did laugh then. That was the first thing I considered, of course, but the data don't match up. I had been having visions of the quiet long before I came to Borgosus, since Caligan, in fact, perhaps since Maidwa. Whatever was happening to me, it was bigger than Borgosus, bigger than Karn Sagara and his pet demon. The brethren said the quiet had pressed them into service, forced them to deliver the vision they had given me because the quiet had foreseen that I would meet them. And because the brethren, being perhaps the most intelligent creature ever to exist, had perceived the quiet when they peered across the luminous deeps of time. I told Lorian all this, and when his frown deepened, I said, You don't know everything. 
Now, I don't know everything, but I am me here. I pushed back my sleeve, then showing in my right arm. You showed me yours, so I'll show you mine. Faintly visible in the stark light shone the pinpricks of a hundred tiny scars. They dotted the back of my hand, my palm, my forearm. When I was a boy, I was mugged in the streets of Maidwa, returning to my father's castle. It shattered my arm and nearly killed me. I spent weeks recovering. I wore a corrective brace, I'm sure you know the type. See the scars? I pointed, watching for his response, but Lorian's face was not readable. I shook my sleeve back down. If you have seen the recording, you know full well it was the right arm I lost in that fight. Feel it. I offered my hand, and he took it carefully. His own hand was dry and light as a skeleton's. And feel the other. I extended the left. Let him feel the false bones there. The first time I went to the fugue, I wore my family's signet ring, I said, working Arenata's ring off my thumb to show him. Cryoburn took the skin off from here to here. I traced a line with from one thumb joint to the next. When I came back to life, I said, haltingly, aware of how insane those words sounded, it was my left arm I had lost, not the right. And I had this back. I held up my right hand again for inspection, scars and all. That is not the sort of mistake a machine would make. And besides, when it happened, I could not say when I died. When it happened, Karn Sagara was dead offline, rebuilding himself. His whole ship was dead. I did not tell him about my final meeting with the undying Lord of Vorgosos, the way that Xanthus King demanded my secret of eternal life, a secret I did not possess. I had given him enough proof. I do not know what happened to me, Lorian, but I know I am me. The younger man's ghostly face shaped itself into a faint smile. Don't we all? We proceeded on then in silence for several minutes. I could see the sign for the ship's tramway up ahead, a white dash in a green circle. Presently, Lorian spoke. You didn't answer my question. He stopped once more and leaned on his cane. Do you really dream the future? Shaking my head, I turned back once more to regard Commander Aristides with narrowed eyes. The young officer did not need to know the half-mortal woke sweating in the dark of night from dreams of fang and fire and the memory of pale hands in dark water. He did not need to know about the shades of Uvenari and Gilliam Vass, of Emile Bordelon, of Jinan and Switch. No, I said. I dream the past. All right, that was actually a little shorter than I thought. <laughs> um, it's all good. Um, would you like me to keep reading, David? Um, sure. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to go for another five, seven minutes, we've got a little more time. So I'll just jump into. Uh, we'll just keep going. Uh, cha- chapter eighteen: Night Journeys. Ten by ten at first, then one by one, my fellow crewmen went under the ice. I did not join them. In the end, I did not sleep. Not when my first six months were gone, nor after Valka entered Fugue, nor even when the first year of our voyage had gone by. As I grew older, I would often spend my shorter voyages awake and alone, each day playing out, as I have described, passing the long years in solitude aboard the sleeping vessel. I acquainted myself with the so-called night officers, the crewmen awakened to tend the ship while Corvo and the officers I knew best slept. 
I am ashamed to say that I no longer remember most of their names, though I recall young Halford, the night captain. The rest are little more than ghosts, such as the young woman with whom I played a druaja late into the evenings, or the old mechanic who greeted me on my walks about the ship's equator. Most of the junior crewmen feared to speak to me as though I were some species of ghost. There was an older woman. She reminded me of Dr. Chan from Emesh, who tended the hydroponics section and the bees. Always when I went to my private spot there, I would find her singing to the vegetables and the tiny yellow jacketed soldiers as they flew here and there in service of their queen. It was then too, on that first of my night journeys, that I attempted to, that I first attempted to set into writing an account of my life up until that point, detailing my escape from Delos, my time on Emesh, our battle with Went and Bordelon on Pharos. I abandoned the project just short of our arrival at Borgosos. I was not willing to relive those months again, to walk Karn's gloomy halls in memory and meet the many horrors that served at his command. I would not try again for many decades. Often I have wondered what became of those original texts, stories I have not recorded in this version. Languishing in some imperial archive, I don't doubt, or else spirited away by some enthusiast among my own people. Perhaps they will see the light someday. Perhaps they will find their way here to Colchis and languish in the imperial library alongside this accounting. Or perhaps not. Who can say? Thus, the months passed in the years after, and in time, the slumbering vessel began to stir. More faces appeared in the halls, and the sound of voices and of the public address system filled the ship and echoed among the arches and buttressed supports of the mighty holds. Soldiers ran drills and trained in the gymnasium, and the barracks high above resounded in the march of feet. The Arctania woke and were seated with the men in the messes, and in time I came no more to the hydroponic section, which was, ever which was ever crowded then with texts minding the floor and harvesting the fishes. Gorvo awoke first, then Durand, with Kazkanen and Farin and White and the other bridge officers not far behind. Polino and Alara came after, and Siran and the rest, all the legionary officers. Valka came only near the end, and I waited at her bedside and presented her with a traditional glass of orange juice myself. Every one of the Tamerlanes more the 90,000 hands was awake and anxious and spoiling for action. And days later, we arrived. I won't get into what happens after that, I think. <laughs> Sounds um, good. Because this is a little further into the book than, uh, than most readings might be. But I really wanted to, uh, to do the Lorian scene because it's, uh, it's fun. A little bit yeah. of the Doubt Promise thing going on. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was a bit from Demon and White. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, uh, everybody that listened in. Yeah. So uh, his first two books, uh, which I had back here, you can kind of still see them, but Empire of Silence and The Howling Dark uh, are currently available. And Demon of White, is it still slated for July? Yeah, July 28th, it's going to be out. It got pushed back a couple of weeks because of the, the pandemic situation, um, but uh, it's still still coming in July. Okay, fantastic. And I mean, you've got some, you've had some rave like reviews and blurbs from some pretty great people. I think, uh, was it uh, Jay Corey or J.S. Corey or James uh, yeah. Corey that, uh, that put one out uh, earlier for, uh, for your first book? Yes, he did. Um, my, uh, my agent used to represent uh, Daniel Abraham. So he, he read it for us. Um, and, you know, we, we, he let us use the James Corey name, uh, which was really cool. 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, and I had, a, I had the opportunity to read Empire of Science last year, um, and kind of what I said, it was like it's it's what Red Rising would have been written, uh, if it was written by Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've gotten that a lot. I got to tell you, I didn't even know Red Rising existed. Um, I I have not read a YA novel uh, since I was a YA, um, and <laughs> I just it was completely outside of of my scope. So when people were like, oh yeah, it's exactly like that, I'm like, I don't know what that is, guys. Uh, Name of the Wind, I know about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been writing first person for a while, and uh, and so that was really cool to see someone do the same kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, albeit you know, fantasy and not in space. Right, uh, but right. It, you know, I'm glad that there is a uh, you know something so uh, so monolithic that has a bit of the same energy. You know. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, you've got a you know definite targeted audience with that too, um, which which definitely helps, especially with the debut. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a fantastic series so far and, and you know, looking forward to, I, I'm sorry, I get to Howling Dark, unfortunately, but looking yeah, forward to getting okay. Demon and White. Um, do you know if, uh, if they're going to be doing an audio edition of, uh, Demon and White as well? Yeah, they will. Um, we're getting the same reader. Uh, Sam Rokin's read the whole series so far. He read the spinoff that I had come out, uh, last month too. Um, The Lesser Devil, is that right? Lesser Devil, yeah, yeah. I did a side story about Adrian's brother and what being stuck at home and not a great cosmic hero, uh, is like. Um, gotcha. so plenty of action actually it's about half battle uh, so okay yeah. well fantastic yeah so uh so that's all out from doll um do you have anything uh, i guess uh what's your i guess your next series going to be are you going to write more in this world do you uh, well i'm working on book four now contrary to uh popular suspicion it's not a trilogy um i was leery of the you know the awkward second book in the trilogy thing so i figured hey we'll do five books and there will be three awkward second books <laughs> because <laughs> um, uh, that was clever. Uh, so I'm working on book four now. I'm about, uh, about 11 chapters in. It should be about 75. Um, okay. Just to you know, give you a kind of uh, indication where I'm at. So I'm struggling through that, and then I've got book five, and then I think I'll stick in the universe for a little while, assuming there's still, you know, people still want to hear from it. Um, <laughs> but, I've, you know, I've got some other ideas, too. So we'll, we'll see where we're at. Um, by the time book five comes out, it'll be 2022. So Lord knows. Um, wow. You know, so. That's awesome. Okay. Well, well right uh, here, you know, yeah. uh, come hell or high water. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, man, I, I really appreciate you being here, doing a live reading. Uh, it's 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 been awesome listening to you. Uh, I have to go back and listen to the full thing, and uh, definitely we'll be getting to Howling Dark and Demon and White once it hits in July. But uh, just thanks again. I uh, really appreciate you coming on, and thanks everybody that tuned in to, to check him out. Uh, and there actually is a link in. The video below uh that it directs you right to demon and white on amazon if you want to check out it when it comes out definitely recommend the first two books first though but uh, if you want to check out that trilogy you know check it out there um but chris uh thanks and hope you have a great rest of your weekend yeah thanks for having me man you uh good luck with the marathon today <laughs> i appreciate it man it's uh it'll be interesting <laughs> right, you got it all right cheers thanks.